Did you hear that? Good morning, Victory Point. My name's Matt, and I'm the team leader here at this church. Big welcome to anybody who might be here for the first time. We're excited to have you. Hey, I just want to share a couple things, maybe in an expression of confession. Um, Guess what happened at my house this weekend? No, we have power. We have power. What'd you say, Bob? Yeah, yeah, thanks for playing with me on this, Bob. That's the appropriate response. Like, what? What happened? Um, We had a garage sale at my house this weekend. Another question. Guess what, guess what one thing more than anything else causes more stress and tension between my wife and I? A garage sale. I don't know what it is. Something about a garage sale just gets me all worked up and tense. Like, I, I think they're a lot of work with very little results, you know? And, and, and I don't even do anything. Like, Tori does it all, yet I find myself, like, speaking opinions into things. Like, we should get rid of this and this. Let's just get rid of everything, make as much money as we can, and, and we, we, we fight. And we, we, we use words that we shouldn't use. Mostly me. Jason, did you hear any of those over the last couple of days? You probably did. Like, it, like, something about a garage sale just causes me stress and anxiety, and I feel like it stresses me so much, it just causes me to age. Like, this is what I look like Friday night. Friday night. Yeah. You know who sent me that picture? Pete Shewitt. Even from a distance, he's playing jokes on me. He took, he took that face app that everyone was using this last week and, and sent me that picture of what I'm going to look like. Apparently, I'm going to look like Bob Barker when I get old. I'm going to probably run a, a game show or something like that. I have a really long skinny mic and things like that. But I got to tell you, that, that caused angst in me. I started to just stre- Now I'm stressing about what I'm going to look like when I get old. So I hope I can relax and just uh, share with you what God has put on my heart this morning. Um, and we're in this series called Kairos, and Kairos is simply a word in the Greek language for time. It's a moment in time, a moment when God is getting your attention in a very specific way, and he wants to speak something to you and invite you to act on it. And so this summer, we're just doing a series where we ask whoever's up front to share out of the overflow of how God is getting their attention how the kingdom is breaking through. And, and I, I shared with you last week just the beginning of, of how God's been getting my attention in a particular story in the Old Testament in Genesis 18. And I shared just a little bit of it with you last week. We're going to continue it today because we gave most of our time and space to JC last Sunday and, and having her share just kind of the overflow of this kingdom journey that she's been on and how God has been getting her attention. And she, she was preaching like she was just preaching last week, and if you missed it and um, haven't heard that, I invite you to go to our Vimeo page. You can access that through the e-news, um, and, and just watch that. It, it will bless you. But, but we, we value those kind of stories, and we want to give space and time to those kind of stories. What I'm doing right now is not the most important part of a Sunday morning gathering. Like, right? Like, the message is not the most important thing we do on a Sunday morning. Everything we do has value. Like, the, the, the fellowship we experience, the, the, the way we sing together, the way we interact with each other, and especially the way we, we celebrate the stories of God at work 
throughout the week in our lives, the, the way the kingdom is breaking through. And uh, so it was really cool to just give a, a young person space to share that story. And I hope we do that often because um, that's important. But last week we started talking about hospitality, hospitality. So uh, let me pray. We're going to jump right into it. Lord, remind us of where we were last week for those of us that were together and uh, for those of us who weren't here. Um, give us a, a spot to start right now where we can really most of all, catch your heart for people. Catch your heart, especially for the strangers in our lives. And, and, catch, and be reminded of your heart for us when we were yet strangers and sinners, Christ died for us. So Lord, speak to us. Um, our, our hearts are, may, may our hearts become good soil this morning to receive the, the, the seeds of the kingdom of God and may they be planted and may they take root and may they grow into fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, we, we hung out in Genesis 18. Genesis 18 uh, is this story of Abraham and Sarah and three visitors, you know, three visitors that showed up. So I just want to give a quick recap. Um, what, what happens in this story is you find Abraham, he, he's in the, the heat of the day, which we can relate to recently. Like in the heat of the day, he's in the, the kind of opening of his tent and uh, he, he's trying to catch some shade and hopefully catch a breeze. And he looks out in the distance and he sees three strangers, sees three men, three people. What does he do? What would we do, I think, is an appropriate. What, what, what do you do when you are just hanging out and you see strangers near you? What's your posture? What's your reaction? Well, what do we learn from Abraham? Well, what did Abraham do? Well, the the text tells us that Abraham looked up, he sees the three strangers, and he jumps up and he runs to them, which is an unusual thing. You know, patriarchs in that ancient culture did not run. As a matter of fact, it would bring shame on the person and on the family and even on the village. But and especially, remember, like uh, the the chapter before, Abraham had just underwent a, uh, a procedure that, that males usually have in the hospital when they're babies before they come home. Abraham at 99 had just had that. So he's got all this stuff going on, but he gets up and he runs. He runs to the strangers and said, why don't you guys hang out here in the shade? I'll get some water. I want to wash your feet, you know, give you some refreshment. And then what he does after that is he does this. Then he hurries back into the tent, probably the tent he was just hanging out in the, in the, the opening of. He hurries back into the tent and he says to Sarah, his wife, quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd. Who knows how far away that was? He ran to the herd and he selected a choice tender calf and he gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he, he brought some appetizers, some curds and some milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set them before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. So I, I just want to like, like go back to one particular detail in this story that we kind of like ended with last week. You know, so, so Abraham, he, he runs into the tent, tells Tara to, or Sarah, not Tara, although Tara would make bread. Um, he runs into the tent and tells Sarah to make some bread. Okay, he runs and gets the meat, the calf. And that's, that's unique too, because in that culture, like they would only have fresh meat maybe a couple times a year, you know, on very special occasions. So he is going all out above and beyond in his response to these three visitors. Um, he, so he, he prepares, you know, the meat and the food and he gathers everything up and he serves his guests. But did, 
there's a little detail in there that I think we breeze by that I think has great significance. Um, he tells Sarah, his wife, to, to take three seahs of, of the finest flour, not, not just any flour, but to take you know, three seahs of the finest flour, the, the good flour, the wheat flour, not the ordinary barley flour. And he, and he tells her to knead it together and to, be, to make bread, to make bread for this occasion. And, uh, you know, nothing but the best for our guests. Now, now, what does that mean? You know, we don't use measurements like that. Like, like translators would say, and you see it in the NIV footnotes, that would be the equivalent probably of 36 pounds of flour. 36 pounds of flour. And, and last week, if you were here, I came out with this bag right here. This is 25 pounds of flour. So can you imagine taking, like, you know, a bag and a half of that? And actually, like, if we just go a little bit farther, some translators would suggest that, you know what, it's even more than that. The correct translation is three measures of flour, and three measures of flour can be upwards to 50 to 60 pounds of flour. So you have Abraham, sees three strangers, runs into the tent, tells his wife, take 60 pounds of flour and begin kneading it together to make bread. That would make the equivalent of about 60 loaves of bread. 60 loaves of bread. I don't think it really matters at this point whether it was technically 36 pounds of flour or 60 pounds of flour. It was for three people. It was for three people. This is extravagant. This is above and beyond. And you have to ask, I think, and this is the kairos that got my attention that started me down this road. Like, why is, why is that story in the Bible? I think it's good to always ask that question when you read the Bible. Why is that particular story in the Bible? You know, why are these details in particular in the Bible? What is it that God is wanting us to know? What is it that he wants us to understand? Is there something in this story that he desires for us to imitate? Could it be, and, and this is kind of where we left last week, but, but could it be as simple as how we welcome people, especially strangers, matters to God. How we welcome people, especially the strangers in our midst, matters deeply to God. It matters to God. Now, we know, right, we know that, because we get to read this in a book form, Abraham's living it in real time. Um, we know that these three strangers are not just ordinary men. Uh, this is God. God and two angels. God in human flesh. Could be Jesus, who knows, but, it, but it's obviously God in human form in two angels. I'm curious, and I don't know a good answer to it, but I'm curious, like, like when did Abraham know? When did he know in this flow of events that these were not ordinary just men? This was God in his presence. When did he know he was entertaining angels? Like, at what point did the light bulb go off like, I'm entertaining angels? God is in my midst. I don't know if there's a for sure answer on that. I tried to read different things throughout the week in the last couple weeks, like when did Abraham know? And some suggest right away, some suggest like somewhere along the way, for sure by the time they left. I don't know, but here's what I do know. This is a story of extravagant generosity. This is a story of incredibly radical hospitality and that's what we're talking about and that's what I want us to think about I want us to think about hospitality what does it mean to be hospitable what is what is what is biblical hospitality about 
What's the significance of it? Why does, why does the Bible talk about it? Because we're going to find out. We're going to take a quick survey of some scriptures. The Bible talks about hospitality probably more than we realize. And, and hospitality, let's just be clear, it's way bigger than just being friendly. It's way bigger than just being nice. It's way bigger than just being kind. It's way bigger than that. Romans. Roman, Brendan, he was talking about Romans 12, right, this morning. Like, 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 you know, our spiritual act of worship is to offer all of who we are. To, to not be transformed to the patterns of this world. You know, um, not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by, by, by the Spirit. To be transformed by Christ. Later on in that same passage that, that Brendan, you know, was referring to. In Romans 12, it says this. Like, here's some instructions Paul gives to us. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Then he says this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, and then these two words, practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. In, in, in that word, practice, like, that, that requires intentionality. That requires effort. Practice is something you intentionally engage in to get better at something. Practice hospitality. So what, what does that word mean, that, that, that word hospitality? Well, let's go back to the Greek language, just like we did with the word kairos, okay? In the Greek, the word hospitality comes from two different words. We talked about this last week. Phylos is a Greek word for love, it's a kind of like friendship kind of love, like brotherly love. That's why Philadelphia, we talked about, is named, is known as the city of brotherly love. Philadelphia, that, that Greek word is in there. Zenos, Zenos means stranger or immigrant. Put those two words together and you get philoxenos, Greek word for hospitality, philoxenos. And what it really kind of boils down to, biblical hospitality is loving strangers like you would love your own brother. So when Paul says to us to practice hospitality, what he's inviting us and and challenging us with is to love strangers just the same way we would love our own family, the way we'd love our own brothers and sisters. At its core, biblical hospitality is about welcoming the stranger. Welcoming the stranger. Genesis 18 is a picture of that, right? Abraham welcomed the strangers in his midst, and he did it with extravagant, radical hospitality. I mean, can, can you see how this is a word that's relevant today, just like it was when Paul wrote Romans, just like it was in Genesis 18? This is a relevant word for us today. This is a relevant invitation and challenge for us today in, in our world, in our families, in our community, in our nation, in our world. What does it mean to practice hospitality? What does it mean to welcome the stranger just, and, and to love the stranger just like we would our brother and our sister? So at some point we have to ask the question, are we? Are we a people? Are we, am I an individual? Are, am I a family? Are we a family? Are we a spiritual family that practices hospitality? The, the way the Bible defines hospitality? Do, do we welcome those who aren't like us? Are we welcoming and loving to those 
who are strangers, who are different to us? Are we welcoming to those who have different backgrounds than us, who have a different color skin than we do, that have a different marital status than we do, that have a different sexual orientation than we do, that, that are struggling with, with sins that we don't struggle with, that whether they're old, young, poor, rich, and everything in between all those categories, are we welcoming? Uh, do we receive people the way Christ receives us? Recognizing that, you know what? We're all broken. And we're all in need of God's mercy. And we're all in need of the transforming power of Christ. I would add this. Hospitality. I remember, like, I, I actually got this from, from Steve Rusticus. I remember him talking about hospitality once. Hospitality is a willingness to not only welcome others, but to share with them what God has given us. This includes, but isn't limited to, our time, our friends, our families, our finances, our resources, and our homes. Here's what I just want us to catch this morning and to just walk out of here mindful of. This, this idea of hospitality, it's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. This concept of hospitality, when you start looking for it, it's all over the scriptures. It's everywhere. It, it, it's, and I just want to take us through a brief, quick survey of some scriptures and then get really practical with some questions. Um, and then we're going to have communion together before we leave this morning. But so if you're a note taker, I would invite you to get your pen ready because I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures. They're going to be on the screen. Um, but I'd, I'd love for you to jot these down and go back this week and just dwell in them. And ask what the Lord's speaking to you, you know, through his word. So a quick survey of hospitality. First, I just want to make this point. Hospitality is at the center of God's character and of Jesus' life. God is a hospitable God. God leads by practicing hospitality towards us. God welcomes us into his family. And he shares with us everything he has. God is a hospitable God. You see this back in Leviticus, Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. Write that one down, go spend time in that this week. But this is what it says. This is God like instructing his people of how he wants them to be his people. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. Kind of like the, the great commandment is already showing up in the Old Testament, isn't it? You know, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. Love them as yourself. And then this. I love, I, I, I so need to be reminded of this all the time. For you were foreigners. You were once foreigners. You were once foreigners in Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. And then like it, it, that, that, that mentality gets that that reminder gets repeated in the New Testament when Peter's writing in, in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, he says this, you know, let, let me remind you of who you are. You, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do, do you hear 
the reminder and the invitation and the call of God in these passages, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, to remember. It's almost as if God's reminding, you know, his people, you know, back in the Old Testament days and again, you know, in the, 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 the early church days and I think to us still in these days to, to carefully consider your response to the stranger, before you make assumptions, before you're quick to judge, before you um, choose to ignore, remember, once you, once you were not a people. Once you too were on the outside looking in. Once sin had separated all of you from me. And, but I've welcomed you. I've welcomed you into my family. And I've loved you and I've demonstrated love for you that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. God extending and practicing hospitality to those who are on the outside looking in. You know, I even think back to the creation story. I mean, God is a hospitable God. He, He welcomes Adam and Eve into this place and says, I share all of the, everything I have is yours. I mean, it, God can't help it. It's his nature. It's his character. He's a hospitable God. And then Jesus, you know, he's teaching in parables and he's talk, he always talks about meals. And remember we did that whole meal with Jesus during Lent and how, how like we learn a lot about the character of God and the kingdom of God through how Jesus did meals with people. And he's sharing this parable in Luke 14. And then he said to his host, he said this, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You you see it again, just woven into the heart of Jesus, this heart for for, for those who are, quote-unquote, on the outside looking in, Jesus says, invite them, welcome them, share with them. Because you too, you were once spiritually poor with nothing to offer for your salvation. You too, you, you were once spiritually crippled. You, you were powerless by sin. Don't forget that. Once you too, you were spiritually blind. You were unable to see the truth about Jesus. Once you too were spiritually lame. You were unable to come to God on your own. Invite them. I, I think at the heart of hospitality, of being a person who practices hospitality, is to never forget the hospitality God has extended to us. Because when we put that back in the center and in the forefront, it, it becomes our picture of how we want to represent God. Because that's what God cares about. That's why he says this in Leviticus. That's why Peter says this in the the passage. That's why Jesus says this. God wants his people to represent him well, to represent his heart. And God is a hospitable God. Because hospitality is at the center of God's character in Jesus' life, because you and I are recipients of God's hospitality, because God has welcomed you and me into his family and shared all that he has, we now share his mission, which means hospitality is now the call of every Christian. This is a message for everyone in this room who calls themselves a follower and a believer of God. It's not just for people who like to have people over. 
This is a message for everyone who calls themselves a Christian. We already looked at Romans 12, 13, which says practice hospitality. Let me throw out a few more to you. Another one from Peter. This one in 1 Peter 4, 8, 9. He says this, above all, this kind of reminds me of Romans 12, Paul. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Praise God for that. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Then this, you know, in, in case you think so far like, okay, I'm supposed to offer hospitality to those inside the family of God, you know, just so we're clear, the writer of Hebrews says this. You've probably heard this verse, right? Hebrews 13, 2. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Where do you think that language came from? Where do you, what do you think the writer of Hebrews is thinking about when, when he writes this in this letter? He's thinking of Genesis 18. He's thinking of Abraham and Sarah and the three visitors who were without whatever point they realized that they're entertaining angels and God himself. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that, like, be ready. You never know when you're entertaining angels. This got me thinking, you know, today and and this week as I was reflecting on especially this verse. Like, I'm trying to think, like, do I, have I ever, have I ever entertained angels without realizing it? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I, I can't think of anything where I'm aware, like, I think that was an angel. You know, like, but I know there's people that have stories like that because all of a sudden this person's like nowhere to be found. Like, I wonder if that was an angel. Like, I, I don't know. I can't remember at least of any times when I think like became convinced like that, that was an angel. I think that was an angel. But I don't know. But I don't want to miss out on the chance. And so what that means is I should treat every stranger as if like I'm, I'm loving God himself. Because you never know. That, Matthew 25, it was up here, right? Like when you guys walked in. I don't know if you get here early enough to, to read the scriptures that are on the screen. But Matthew 25 was up there this morning. And, and it's the sheep and the goats. And, and you know, Jesus says, whenever you, whenever you like fed you know, the hungry, you were feeding me. Whenever you clothed the stranger, you were, you were clothing me. Whenever you visited the person in prison, you were visiting me. Like Jesus makes this connection that whenever we love anyone... We are loving God because that person is made in the image of God. That person resembles the, the image of God, even if it's a fallen one, like, like, like all of us. Like it, it's, there's the image of God in there. That's a powerful, powerful thing. It's, it's even so important to God that we be a people of hospitality, that, that it's even included by Paul in his letter to 1 Timothy when he's talking about the overseers. Like the overseers are like the, the, the people that maybe lead the, the church community, the elders, the deacons, the pastors. Like the, so if you're sitting here this morning and you're one of the Victory Point elders, listen to this. The overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife or her wife or her husband. Yeah, that's how it would work, yeah. Because we have male and female elders, so, you know, faithful to his wife or her husband, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable that's I never realized that like that's it's important to God that those who lead the church practice hospitality that they love people well 
that they love especially the strangers well. That, that's a job description requirement for overseers in God's church. But lastly, this is where I want to land and get really practical. Hospitality is at the center of God's character in Jesus' life. It's the call of every Christian. And, and here's the deal. Hospitality is not an event. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Hospitality is a way of living. Remember Romans 12, 13 again. It says, practice hospitality. It's an ongoing thing. It's, it's, it's not an event. And so I think we need to get this straight. And I think this would be important to talk about this morning real quick. Hospitality versus entertainment. I think we live in a culture that that values entertainment, but doesn't know how to understand hospitality and confuses the two. Entertainment is about giving someone a really great experience, amazing food, the perfectly put together and decorated house, awesome, spectacular fun. That's the goal of entertainment. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about hospitality. I think we need to, I think it's been culturally robbed to become entertainment. I think we need to grab back this idea of hospitality in its biblical sense. Hospitality is simply opening up your life and making someone feel like family. Opening up your life and making someone feel like family. My friends Bob and Christina back there, I wasn't even gonna say this, but I just looked at you and like, you guys are ambassadors to me of biblical hospitality because you see your neighborhood as a place where you invite people into your life and you even call them family. You know, friends, family, we're gonna, they're gonna become family to us. Like, you wanna understand what biblical hospitality looks like? There's pictures of it in this room, them being one of them. You should just hang out with them and they can show you a thing or two about that. But, but we need to get straight the difference between entertainment and hospitality. So Friday night, um, you know, we, we don't really think about like, you know, ahead much of what we're gonna eat or what we're gonna do most, most days and nights. And um, so we decided like, oh, someone gave us some lasagna. Thank you very much. Uh, so like, we're gonna put that in the oven and like, oh, you know, let's invite, like we're gonna run a race in the morning. So let's invite the follets over. So no, they're gonna run a race and we'll carbo load together. You know, cause you're supposed to eat pasta. That's why I like running races because you're supposed to eat pasta a lot before that. And uh, so we had them over and it's, it's, it's interesting to me, like as, as we're sitting in the living room and we're playing a game and with their boys and I look under the table, like there's this huge clump of dog hair from Kenai just like blowing around. And it's like, it, there's a piece of me that like got a little anxious, like, oh no, you know, but then it's like, this is okay because this isn't entertainment. We're not trying to give a, like the, the perfect picture of something that's unattainable to everybody. We're just trying to be real and like inviting people into our lives. And we eat every day, so why can't we just invite people into something that we're doing already? It's really simple. You know, that's what hospitality is versus entertainment. So I have some questions, like, the, like especially to just start to pr- provoke maybe some, some action steps for us. So here's some questions. I think, you know, and I don't know what question might hit you more than another one. You don't need to worry about every question, just, but if one of them kind of jumps out at you, pay attention to that. That could be your kairos this morning, okay? Do I view my home as a place of refuge or as a base of mission and hospitality? Because how you answer that question is a big, it makes a big difference uh, of how you use your home or not use your home in this realm. 
And, and, and I get it. You know, some of us are introverts more than extroverts. And, you, and you, need, you know, we need to figure out how to do life that way. One's not better than the other. We just need to learn how we're wired and how to live into hospitality based on who we are. But how do you view your home? When we talk about hospitality and entertainment, which one do you kind of tend towards? Which one do you trend, you know, this direction or this direction when you're having people over? Here's the questions that get me. What percentage of my hospitality is among people I know versus people I don't? Mine's way over here, usually with people I know. What percentage of my hospitality is with believers versus unbelievers? I feel like I'm even farther way over sometimes on the, on the believer side of things. Deb, Deb Hirsch, she wrote a book called Untamed. She says this, she says, our families in our homes should be a place where people can experience a foretaste of heaven. Where people can experience a foretaste of heaven where the church is rightly viewed as a community of the redeemed from all walks of life. That means like people who aren't like me. People who are different from me. So here's, a, here's maybe a different question to ponder. Who eats at your table? Who eats at your table? I know like your family does. They should. It's their home, your family. But who in addition to your family eats at your table? How often do you have people eat at your table who aren't your family, your biological family? Because we all eat every day multiple meals. We, we don't have to add something to our life. What would it look like to invite somebody into something you're already doing? Whether it's at your home, whether it's at a coffee shop, whether it's at a restaurant, maybe at the park, whatever. I, I, I've, I know of people that have, as families, who've decided like, you know what? We're gonna take seriously what it means to be hospitable to people outside of our family. So Wednesday nights are the night we're gonna have people over. And so they give the kids permission, like you can invite whoever you want to eat with us on Wednesday nights. It, it requires some intentionality. It requires like grab and hold of hospitality versus entertainment. It requires maybe a predictable pattern. But, but who eats at your table? Who eats at your table? Who eats at this table that we have before us this morning? Who eats at your table? Abraham used his home, his tent. He used his tome, his tent, as a base of mission and hospitality and gave us a picture of radical hospitality. I've, I've experienced, I've been, because I think because I'm preaching, I've been noticing this all over the place lately. You know, I, I was at uh, the dryer's home last Thursday night and they had like 50, 70 people out on their back patio. Some people they had never met before. You know, all to use their home as a base of mission to draw attention to what God's doing through the work of world orphans. And, they, and it cost them time and some money. And uh, it was a beautiful picture of biblical, radical hospitality. I think of my neighborhood. I've got some neighbors that are here today. Um, Tuesday nights, we have what's affectionately called goofy golf in our neighborhood. We have a golf league in our neighborhood that takes place right in our neighborhood. Uh, so my, my neighbor Dave, um, he, he bought like a whole bunch of foam balls, like really nice ones. So they're not like the cheap wiffle balls, like they're really nice foam golf balls. And he decorates them into sets of three with a Sharpie so that you can have like 20 people play. 
And then Tuesday nights, the invitation is out on our Facebook page in our neighborhood. Like anybody that wants, 7 o'clock, meet at Dave's house. He's got little flags and, and big rings. And we start hitting balls across the street into each other's yards. And they're foam balls, so sometimes we try to hit each other, you know, and things like that. But um, like one night we might have like 20 people. This last Tuesday, we just had a few of us. We just sat on the porch and talked. But here's, here's what I loved is we're sitting on the porch Tuesday night. It was me and Tori and Dave and Linda. And like some people walked by walking their dog. I didn't recognize them. I'm not even positive they're from the neighborhood or if they are, maybe they're from around the corner or something. But Dave starts yelling at them, inviting them to come golf with us on Tuesday nights. He's inviting, he's welcoming the stranger. He's inviting the stranger into something he's already doing in his life. And it was this awesome picture of biblical hospitality. And I loved it. I'll close with this. Then we'll uh, move towards some worship and some communion together. I, I, I think hospitality can take place both in this environment. You know, the, 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 I think hospitality has a place when the church gathers together and especially when the church scatters. But I don't want to discount the gathered environment. There's hospitality to be practiced here. So when I think about the gathered environment, you know, hospitality in here, like what would it look like to come early and or stay late on a Sunday? Here's my observation as someone who's been here for 15 years and is guilty of the very thing I'm about to say. Like we are, because we're just human beings, we're pretty notorious for paying attention to the people we know. And sometimes assuming everyone else will pay attention to the people we don't know. We each, especially if Victory Point is your family, you call Victory Point home, we each need to take responsibility for practicing hospitality to those in our midst who are strangers. We don't know them, even though we've been sitting next to them for five years, okay? But we just don't know their names. Or I think I I met them, but I forgot their name. Now I'm embarrassed. I, I do that all the time. I fake it, you know, like, like until I learn their names, like just, but we each need to take responsibility for this. Here's what I notice. The people, like, it's hard to, it's hard to be hospitable um, when you're running in at the last second right before church starts and then taking off right when um, the gathering concludes. It's really hard to have space to be, hospitality is more than that one minute greeting we do during the gathering. It takes intentionality. It takes being present. It takes coming either a little early maybe or, or staying a little late. And I notice the people who are usually running in late are the VPers. New people, they, they come early because they think that's what you're supposed to do. They haven't learned yet our culture that, hey, on time is maybe five minutes late. You know, like, can I just, and I get it, you know, sometimes you got little kids. It's just impossible to get here on time. But can I just implore you, and I, and I need to go first on this. Like, what if we all started coming a little bit earlier and or staying a little bit later and intentionally seeking out people that we haven't met yet and meeting them, introducing ourselves, maybe even invite them into something, invite them into a meal you're going to have, invite them out to lunch, do something like that. What would that, what would it look like? I, I know there's people that have been coming here for a while who are admitting it's, it's hard to break in sometimes. That shouldn't be. That's not what God is saying. That's not what he wants for his people. He said, if you're going to represent me, you need to be hospitable. Okay? We need to welcome people. 
So what would it look like to come early to stay late? What would it look like to make it a goal like, I'm going to meet one new person a week? Or maybe that's aggressive for you, like a month. I don't know. But what, what if you made some intentional goals? I'm going to meet somebody new. I'm going to introduce the people I meet to the people I already know. How simple is that? Like, hey, Tim, come over here. I just met John. Have you met John? You guys should meet each other, you know? Like, that took like, like 30 seconds. Like, why can't we do things like that? What if we started doing that more intentionally? You know, invite someone to lunch. If you, if you really want a place to do it, like, join the, the first impressions team, the people that help make the coffee and that the hand out the, the programs and that stand by the door. That'll give you a, a, a very easy way to meet people and to welcome people and to invite them in. So I think we need to be intentional in this environment. I also think, you know, like the heart of what I'm catching from the scriptures is especially as we leave here. What does it mean to practice hospitality when we leave here? Do you know your neighbors? I know a lot of you do. Like keep going. You're doing a great job of inviting your neighbors over, you know, for gatherings and things like that. But, but some people like have lived in their neighborhood for years and years and years and, and don't know their neighbors. Like start with one. You know, bring some cookies over. You know, acknowledge, like, you know what? I've been a crappy neighbor. I don't even, I haven't even met you. Like, so I'm gonna try to change that now, you know? Like, like meet your neighbor, bring a meal, invite someone to a meal. Plan like a, plan a date night or something and invite some others to join you. Some people from work, you know, from, from the neighborhood, whatever, you know? Start a missional community or jump into one. You know, we, we just, what's it look like to practice hospitality both in here and out there? Because it's important to God. It's important to God. I want to invite the band forward. And uh, I just want to give some closing thoughts and then we're going to share communion together. Here's what I'm thinking and I'm wondering. It's possible that you're here this morning and you're like, you're listening to all this and you're thinking this isn't for you. Like, I, I just wonder, is there someone here this morning that maybe you're thinking like, yeah, that, that was like a feel-good, kind of love-your-neighbor kind of message, but I don't feel like there was any like real spiritual meat in there for me. That would be a mistake. That would be a huge mistake. You would be missing the point in a very big way. Hospitality is more than just being nice, kind, and friendly. Hospitality is a command in the Scriptures, for people who name Jesus as their savior. Hospitality is an expectation. Hospitality is at the heart and the character of God. Back when we read that Leviticus passage, that's back when God had like made a covenant with the people and invited the, the people of Israel to be his people, to be his bride. He took a bride and he says, you are now going to join me. You are now my partners on mission in the world. You're a kingdom of priests. You're a kingdom of priests. And, and this, is how are you, this is how you are to be. You are to be loving of the stranger. You are to be welcoming of the stranger in your midst. You are to treat them as you treat each other. Because when you do that, the world will know what God is like. And when you don't do that, We're leaving a very bad impression of God on people. This is more than just a command. This is more than just an invitation. This is God's system. This is God's MO for for showing the world what he's like. Welcoming, sharing. Welcoming, 
sharing. Isn't that the, the, the story? You know, I, I love um, in Thessalonians, Paul says this, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's the, the Belay verse for Belay Youth Ministries. It, like, we're not just gonna share the gospel with you. We're gonna share our lives with you. Welcoming and sharing. That's a non-negotiable for God's people. So here's my reflection question. Can you do some little piano stuff? I like it when we do that. <laughs> Is hospitable a word that the people around you would use to describe you? Is hospitable a word that God would use as he watches you live your life to describe you? As we talk about all this, is there maybe one person in your neighborhood, at work, wherever you hang out, that maybe God's putting on your mind right now of someone that you could practice hospitality towards by simply welcoming them and inviting them into your life? Pay attention to that. What's God saying to you this morning? What's he saying to me? And what are you going to do about it? One more verse. Jesus is teaching. You can read this in different gospels, but he says something like this. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. If you were a Jewish person listening to Jesus share that, I got to believe your immediate thought is, oh, the kingdom of heaven is like Abraham and Sarah taking 60 pounds of flour and extravagantly and generously practicing hospitality to strangers. Oh, I get it. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's being like Abraham and Sarah and how they responded to three strangers. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. What would it look like to practice the kingdom of heaven like that this week? It's interesting how bread just keeps showing up throughout the scriptures. Bread, it's very symbolic in the scriptures. Abraham and Sarah feeding the 5,000 widows throughout the Old Testament. Probably no more powerfully than at the Last Supper. So we're going we're gonna to end our, our time together by experiencing and practicing the kind of hospitality that Jesus practiced with his disciples and, and, and this gift that he gave us to, to practice and, and we call it a sacrament, you know, to, to remember him by. That, that through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that God has demonstrated radically and generously hospitality towards us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And through his life, death, and resurrection, we've been welcomed into God's family. God has shared everything with us. 
So I'm going to invite the communion servers to come forward at this time. And as they do that, I'm just going to read some of Jesus' words. In Luke 22, he's gathered with his disciples in the upper room right before he's arrested. And it says this. It says he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So we're going to now remember Christ and remember God's generous hospitality to us by taking communion together. The bread represents Jesus' body. And although Jesus was God, we we believe he came to this earth and lived in a human fleshly tent for 30-some years. And he tasted tasted what the world is like. He experienced all the things that we experience. He knows how hard it is to be good and to be perfect, but he was. And therefore, like he, he let his body be broken. He willingly let his body be destroyed and his blood shed on the cross. So, so the juice, the, the, the bread represents his body broken for us. The juice, it represents his blood shed for us. And as we drink it and as we eat it, we remember that God's forgiveness flows so freely over us and over anyone who's done anything sinful at any time, anywhere, even when we do it over and over and over, we're still forgiven. Communion's not for you this morning if, you know, if you've had a really bad week and, and you've sinned. I mean, I said that wrong. Communion's, <laughs> communion's not for you if you've had a really good week and didn't sin. It's for you, if you and for me if we have sinned. It's not for you if you know everything about Christ and have everything figured out. It's for anyone who wants to know Jesus better and find out more about what he's like. It's not for you if if you have like all your ducks in a row. It's for all of us who have our ducks scattered everywhere. We're welcome at this table. So if you'd like to remember Christ's broken body for you, his blood shed for you, then please come because you are welcome and invited at Christ's table this morning. So the way we do it at Victory Point is we're going to stand, we're going to sing some songs, and as we do that, if, if you would like to participate, just leave your row to the left, come forward, rip off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, there'll be a few words shared with you, partake of it, and then you can head back to your row and continue worshiping through song. So stand. Jesus, thank you for your picture of ultimate hospitality to us through your life, death, and resurrection of welcoming us into the family when we were yet strangers, when we were yet sinners. You died for us. You died for our sins and you rose for our lives. So Lord, we we come to the table this morning freely, humbly, lightly, with great joy because you've welcomed us and you've shared everything with us. And as we take this now, may we take it with us out of here on the journey to duplicate that to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, let's have communion.